Well, good morning. It's good to be back with you guys after a few weeks off. That was wonderful to have some rest. I really appreciate that. Um, This morning, we're going to continue our study of the spiritual disciplines. We're going to be looking at a new spiritual discipline this morning. But before we do that, I just wanted to review for a moment. Um, We've heard from multiple different speakers so far this summer. So I just want to kind of pull things together for you for just a moment and help you see the big idea, the big picture of spiritual disciplines. What are these spiritual disciplines that we have been studying? Here is uh, my definition, just the simplest way that I can kind of wrap my mind around what the Bible means by spiritual disciplines. The disciplines are habits of body and mind that allow us to effectively cooperate with God's spirit in the process of character transformation. They're habits of body and mind. So they involve all of me in this process of of spiritual transformation, of growing to be like Jesus Christ. And um, there's a number of habits that the Bible lists, actually quite a lot of spiritual disciplines. Some of the ones that we're covering this summer are disciplines of engagement, where you're actively doing something like prayer, worship, service, giving. Our discipline this morning, study, memorization, meditation, is a discipline of engagement, a discipline where you're doing something. There's also spiritual disciplines of absolute abstinence, where you stop doing things. That's the discipline of rest, the discipline of fasting, the discipline of solitude. There's a lot more than that, but that kind of gives you an idea. Those are the big ones, the big spiritual disciplines. And the idea behind these spiritual disciplines is these are what God requires us to do in the process of spiritual growth. The spiritual disciplines are our part to play as we grow to be disciples of Jesus Christ. It's actually interesting if you think about the word you can see the relationship between disciple and discipline. Actually, um, disciple and discipline, in both English and Latin, where they come from, um, they're related. Discipline is derived from disciple because discipline is the process by which you grow as a disciple of Jesus Christ. You can see the cause and effect right there in the English word. You have to practice the disciplines to become a disciple of Jesus Christ. That's how you grow as a disciple. That's your part in spiritual growth, to practice these disciplines on a regular basis. But while the disciplines are absolutely essential to growing as a disciple of Jesus Christ, it's important to remember and understand the spiritual disciplines themselves do not make you holy. The spiritual disciplines themselves do not grow you in spiritual discipline. The spiritual or in spiritual maturity, all the disciplines can do is make you available and open to the Holy Spirit who alone can produce spiritual growth. I like to think of the spiritual disciplines like weightlifting. Not that I do a lot of weightlifting anymore, but I used to. I, I used to lift weights, and I would go to the gym. And the irony of weightlifting is, I don't know if you, if you knew this, but when you're actually lifting those heavy weights, uh, did you realize that lifting those weights does not make your muscles bigger? Actually, what does lifting those weights do? It does the opposite. It tears your muscles down. It fatigues your muscles. The weightlifting itself does not make your muscles bigger, but... 
by tearing your muscles down, weightlifting makes you available to the processes of your body where your body responds and rebuilds your muscle bigger. That's how weightlifting works. You tear the muscles down and your body rebuilds them bigger. Spiritual disciplines work the same way. They do not grow you in and of themselves. They just make you available to the Holy Spirit who comes in in the midst of that discipline and grows you to be more holy, grows you to be like a disciple of Jesus Christ. As Richard Foster put it in his great book on the disciplines, by themselves, the spiritual disciplines can do nothing. They can only get us to the place where something can be done. And it can be done by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit living in you uses the spiritual disciplines to grow you as a disciple of Jesus Christ. That's how it works. You do these practices over and over again, and the Spirit uses them to grow you. So this morning, I want to add another spiritual discipline to your toolbox. I want to give you another discipline to practice. Actually, it's three discrete but, but related disciplines. This morning, we're going to talk about study, meditation, and memorization of the Word of God. Three related disciplines. They're all about, when you really boil it down, these disciplines are about spending quality time in God's Word. That's what we're talking about this morning, spending quality time in God's word. If you want to grow as a disciple of Jesus Christ, you have to spend quality time in God's word. Now, I'm guessing that that's not a surprise to any of you. You have probably been at church long enough to know that if you want to grow in godliness, you got to spend time in God's word. If you grew up in church, then people have been telling you to spend time in God's word as far back as you can remember. The problem is uh, most of us don't. Many of us, if not most of us, don't spend much time in God's word. At least we don't spend as much time as we know we should. We know we should spend more time with God's word, but we don't. And there's one predominant reason why. What is it? Because we're busy. Because we're busy. We live in a modern world. The modern world is very busy. Whether you're a teacher, an accountant, a mechanic, a student, whatever you are, you are busy. Very, very busy. You work hard, and yet there always seems to be one more thing you have to do. There's a pile of laundry you have to do even though you just did laundry. There's dishes to take care of, bills to pay, another problem to fix, another meeting to attend to. And then when we finally sit down at the end of our day, finally ready to rest, what happens? Our phone begins beeping with another email, another text, another update that you have to deal with. We have incredibly busy lives. We do. We live in a very busy world. But here's what I've found in the last 36 years, 36 years that I have been alive, I have learned something. I have learned that you are never too busy to do what you most value. No matter how busy you feel like you are, you're never too busy to do what you most value. You will always find time to do what you most care about, even if you're a really busy person. Um, For example, for myself, um, one of the things that I really care deeply about that I highly value is that when I get up here on this stage, I don't make a fool of myself. Really don't want to do that. Really would prefer never to have a train wreck up here. That's a pretty strong emotional desire deep within me. And so because I have that really strong desire, what do I do? I'm a really busy person, but I make sacrifices, I sacrifice TV I could watch. I sacrifice weightlifting I could go do. I even sacrifice sleep. <laughs> Woke up real early this morning to prepare so that I wouldn't make a fool of myself up here. 
Even though I'm busy, I make sacrifices for the things I care most about. Another example, me personally, I just, I really like to end every day uh, snuggling on the couch with my wife watching a funny show. I just feel that's how every day should end, in, in my personal opinion. I want to snuggle with my sweetie watching a comedy. And so I make sacrifices to make that happen. The floor needs to be mopped. I don't care. I'm going to snuggle with my sweetie and watch a show. I need to go to sleep. I don't care. I'm going to snuggle with my sweetie and watch a show. Because I value that. I value that. We will make sacrifices to do the things that we most value. And so what that means is that if I choose not to do something, it's not because I'm too busy. That's a, a red herring of an excuse. It's not a real excuse. I I chose not to do that thing, not because I'm too busy, but because I don't value it as highly as I value the things that I am doing. Does that make sense? So um, when we talk about spending time in God's word, we just need to be honest with one another. We need to be honest with ourselves. Why don't we spend as much time in the word of God as we know we should? Is it because we're too busy? No. No, it's, it's because we don't prioritize it above the things that we choose to do. And so if if human beings are always going to do those things that they most value, if they're going to make sacrifices to do the things that they uh, most value, then the way to grow us in our time in God's word is to increase our desire for it, right? If you're going to spend more time in God's word, then the key is you need to grow your desire to be in God's word. The more you desire it, the more sacrifices you will make to spend quality time with God in his word, If you're going to grow in your practice of these disciplines, you've got to grow your desire to be in his word. So that's what I want us to do this morning. That's where we're going to spend the bulk of our time is growing um, and inspiring our desire, our longing to be in God's word. That's my goal. Grow our desire to be in God's word. And, And so to do that, we're going to have to do a little advertising this morning. That's kind of what our our message is going to be about this morning. Advertising. Now, you are bombarded by advertisements throughout the day. Everywhere you turn, you're seeing advertisements for various products. You turn on the TV, look at the internet, drive down the road, see billboards, read magazines. You are bombarded with advertisements where companies are trying to sell you their product by, by promoting its, its class-leading features and its astounding benefits that it can offer you. We're bombarded by all these advertisements that are desired to inspire within us a desire to buy that product. Well, that's what I want to do with the Bible this morning. I want to inspire your desire to spend time in the Word by writing an advertisement for the Bible. I want us to think, really, think right now. If you were going to create a one-minute commercial designed to inspire someone to spend time in this book, what would you say? What features would you list? What benefits or advantages of this book would you put in your commercial? What are the things that you would list out? To convince someone that spending an hour in this book will give them more, it has more to offer them than spending an hour with Sports Center or watching NCIS or whatever blockbuster is big right now at the movie theater or another hour on Facebook. What would you say to convince someone that their time is best spent right here? I'm going to give you my list. It's not by any means comprehensive, but it covers some of the big points. Can't be comprehensive this morning because the Bible's a really big subject, but I can point out some of the key things. Let's start with key features. 
What are some of the key features that should motivate us to spend our precious time in this one book? Well, the first feature that I would list out for someone as I'm framing this commercial is I would promote the absolute truth of this book. I would make sure to promote that this book and this book alone reveals absolute truth. I would put that first because absolute truth is so rare in our world. So hard to find any source of absolute truth. Now, um, most TV shows, movies, books, things like that, most of them do not claim to be absolute truth. They just claim to be entertaining. Uh, The problem is even those things that claim to be true often aren't. An example, the news. I would really like to find a news outlet that I could go to and get unfiltered, absolutely true news. But I, I haven't found that yet. Every news outlet is biased one way or another, politically or economically. For proof, just go and compare how the different outlets um, spun that health care law ruling this week. You'll see even on their bylines the bias that creeps into editing centers because all news are ultimately biased. The news is not a good source of absolute truth. It's, it's truth as the editor wants to give it to you. So news, I, I can't find truth there. I can't find it actually in, in science either. A lot of people think, well, the place to go for truth is science. Uh, That sounds good. Certainly science is a good place to try to find true things. The problem is science is a human endeavor. And like all things that we human beings do, it is affected by human error and human bias. Discoveries of last year are repudiated by discoveries of today that will be repudiated by discoveries of tomorrow. Because we make errors. We don't see all things. And so science is an attempt at truth, but it is not a source of absolute truth. In fact, there is nothing in this world, no man-made thing you can turn to to find absolute truth. Nothing except the Bible. The Bible claims to be the absolute, unfiltered truth of God. Psalm 119 You are near, O Lord, and all your commandments are truth. The sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous ordinances is everlasting. Everything that God declares in his word is absolutely true. It is absolutely without error. Now, um, we've kind of summarized that idea in, in the doctrine of inerrancy. You might have heard of that word. Inerrancy means that the Bible is without error in every way, in everything that the Bible talks about. Whether it's theology, whether it's history, whether it's human experience, whether it's marriages and practical relationships, whatever the Bible addresses, it is absolutely true to the letter, to the word, absolute source of truth. So inerrancy means that the Bible is without error. It also means that the Bible is without spin. The Bible is without spin, truth without misrepresentation, truth unspun. Now, that's really important to me this year in particular because this is, yet again, a presidential election year. And I feel like all the time I am being bombarded with spin, both political parties using the truth to their advantage, selectively spinning it to their favor. That is always true of politics. It is never true of the Bible. The Bible gives us absolutely unfiltered, unspun, unbiased truth. I'll give you one really shocking example. One really shocking example of how the Bible gives us truth without spin. Um, The book of Mark was written by a guy named Mark who was writing down the words of Peter. So Peter is telling his story. 
He's telling about the events of his life with Jesus Christ. And, and Peter includes this really interesting story, Mark 8, 31 through 33. You may have read this. And Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning around and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on God's interest, but man's. Wow, Peter makes a pretty big blunder here. About the worst thing you can do, he rebuked the Lord of the universe, the creator. And so Jesus looks at him, and in front of everybody, he calls him Satan. It's like the S-bomb he puts right on Peter's head. It's a really bad day for Peter. And so my question is, why did Peter include this story? Mark was the first gospel written. No one else had written this story down. Why did Peter include it? No politician would ever do this. You'd never include something so embarrassing about yourself in your memoirs. But Peter does. The Bible does. Consistently, Old Testament and New Testament unabashedly present the greatest falls, the greatest struggles, the greatest failures of the people of God. It is truth without bias. It is truth without spin. That's what I love about the Bible. It is absolute unfiltered truth. Absolute truth. That's the first thing that I would list in my feature list for the Bible. The second, I would list that the Bible is unchanging. The Bible is unchanging. We live in a world of constant change. I like to think of our culture in particular, America in the 21st century. I think we live in a next version culture. We are a culture obsessed with change. Everything that you have right now is about to become obsolete. I don't know if you've ever reflected on that. Pretty much every possession you own right now will be obsolete within days, months, maybe years. If you're lucky, everything is changing all the time. Electronics, fashion, business practices, everything is constantly in a flux of change. Maybe it's changed for the better. In some cases, it's just change for change's sake. I am a little shocked to see um, that on guys, skinny jeans are back in style. I really thought that that died in the 80s. I was happy to let that stay in the grave. I didn't really like skinny jeans on my body because I have really thin legs. Um, so after the 80s, I bought all baggy jeans, which I was really happy with. Boot cut jeans, even though I don't wear boots, I like those. But now they're out of style again. We're back to skinny jeans. It's, it's skinny, baggy, skinny, not because one is better than the other, but just change for change's sake. We live in a culture that is constantly changing. And in the midst of that change, we desperately need something unchanging that we can cling to, something that we can count on, something that is a, a stable anchor in the storms of life. That's what the Bible is. It is God's absolutely unchanging word. Isaiah 48, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Isaiah is talking about the permanence of God's word. It stands forever. It is immutable. It is without change. Jesus put it this way in Matthew 5, 18. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. It's interesting. Uh, the smallest letter, he's talking about the Hebrew letter Yod. It's basically our apostrophe. And when he says, uh, or, or smallest stroke, that's, uh, that's like the line that distinguishes a capital R in English from a capital P. Not even a whole letter. Jesus is talking about one line of one letter. And his point is God's word is unchanging to the finest detail. To even one part of one letter, nothing will change in God's word until all of it is fulfilled by God. 
God's word is absolutely unchanging. As a result, there will never be a version 2.0 of the Bible. That's, that's really good news. There will never be a new version of the Bible. God is not going to look down at us one day and realize, oops, there was a mistake in that one. It's no longer true. It's no longer the best guide of life. So here, let me update you. Download the newest version from me. No, there'll never be a version 2.0 of the Bible because it doesn't need a new version. It was perfect, unchanging, absolute truth the first time. The Bible is absolutely unchanging. The only thing you can count on in a world of constant change. Third feature that I would include in our commercial for the Bible, not only is it absolutely true and unchanging, but it is proven. It is proven. And we are a culture that, that likes change. We like fads. We like new things when it comes to trivial things. Like, like fashion or entertainment or electronic gadgets. We, we like to find that band that no one's heard of. We like to have the phone that no one yet has. We like new stuff when it comes to trivial things. But when it comes to life and death kind of things, we really prefer the proven option, don't we? If you found out tomorrow that, that you have cancer, who are you going to look for to be your doctor? Are you going to look for the, the new guy in town? New doctor, just graduated from med school. He's young, he's hip, he's fresh. Um, My apologies to any young doctors in the room. No, we're not going to turn to you as our first option because you're brand new. If it's life and death on the line, we're probably going to look for the guy who's treated a thousand of these cases. When I lost the use of my right eye, I, I drove down to Houston to find the one doctor in this whole part of the country who has ever treated someone with my condition because I value proven experience when life and death are on the line. You want to know that it works. You don't want the new thing. You want the proven thing. That's the great news about the Bible. It is proven. It has proven true for thousands of years in every culture, in every scenario, in every situation imaginable, the Bible has proven consistently true. If the Bible had not proven true and reliable, then it would have died out a long time ago. You wouldn't still have the Bible if it wasn't proven, if it was not a good gauge of truth and practice for life. But the Bible hasn't died out. It is still the most published and distributed book in the history of the human race. Billions of copies printed. It's been translated in whole or in part into more than 2,400 languages because it has proven a reliable guide to truth and life for all people at all times in all places. So, class-leading features of the Bible. One and only thing that gives you absolute truth. One and only thing that you can count on as unchanging. One and only thing that is absolutely proven. Those are the key features I'd list out. There's more, but those are my big three. Now let's move on to the benefits. If you're going to buy a product, you want to know what it's going to do for you. What new car is going is to most benefit you? What new clothes are going to give you the greatest advantages? What new phone is going to have the greatest benefits to your life? You want to list out what are the benefits or advantages of this product. Let's do that for the Bible. What does the Bible have to offer you? If you choose to spend your time in the Bible, what benefits will that give you? Lots of things you could list. Here are my big ones. First, biggest one, Bible will give you a path to salvation. It's pretty big pretty huge. The Bible will lead you to salvation. Most books can only entertain you. Some books can inform you. The best books can make you wise, but only the Bible can lead you to salvation. 
Paul puts it this way as he's speaking to Timothy, 2 Timothy 3.15, from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. The Bible leads you to eternal life. It points you to Jesus. It reveals the gospel to us, the good news that though we are sinners separated from God, Jesus Christ, God's own son, died on the cross for our sins and then rose from the dead. And we, if we have faith in him, if we trust in his death and resurrection as payment for our sins, then we are saved now and forever. We have forgiveness and eternal life. So pretty nice benefit right there at the top. The Bible leads you to salvation. Second, the Bible gives you strength over sin. Psalm 119.11, your word I have treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. When you treasure God's word in your heart, when you own it deep in your heart, it gives you strength so that you can resist the temptation of sin. Jesus modeled that. When he was tempted in the wilderness, what did he do? He quoted scripture. He used scripture as God's cure for temptation. So scripture gives you strength over sin. It gives you peace and security. The psalmist puts it this way in Psalm 1. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and whatever he does, he prospers. The psalmist is comparing the person, the believer who spends quality time in God's word, to a mighty oak tree planted by a stream of water. This oak tree, this magnificent oak tree planted by a stream with constantly flowing water, that tree is going to grow huge. It's going to be prolific. It's going to be massive and fruitful. That's what you will be if you spend time in God's word. He will bless you. He will give you security like that oak. Whatever comes with the weather, that oak is strong and stable because it's next to a stream. It's constantly nourished. It is at peace. It has security. It prospers. God is going to prosper you. That doesn't mean financial prosperity. It means spiritual prosperity. He's going to give you peace and strength. He's going to mature you and bless you. He's going to make your life significant if you will spend time in his word. His word will give you peace and security. Finally, his word will make you wise. His word will make you wise. It's it's sad to me that so many people look at this book and they think, man, that is so boring. That is so irrelevant to 21st century life because the stories feel so old, so out of touch with, with our life. But that couldn't be further from the truth. This Bible speaks to the most pressing issues of our day. Do you want to know how to have a good marriage? This is your book. Do you want to know how to raise kids? This is your book. Do you want to know how to find freedom from guilt and shame and depression? This is your book. This book answers the deepest questions we have right here in 21st century America. It answers these questions so that we can be skillful in life. That's what it means to be wise. It makes us skillful in living in 21st century America. Psalmist put it this way in Psalm 119, your commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever mine. I have more insight than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged because I have observed your precepts. The word of God makes you wise. It makes you wiser than your teachers. It makes you wiser even than the aged because the word of God is the fountain of wisdom. It is the best source to go to to make you wise. It's sad that so many people and so many companies and businesses are spending billions and billions of dollars on conferences and consultants and self-help books without turning to the best source of wisdom on the planet, this book. It's designed to make you wise. 
Okay, so uh, when we list all of these things out, key features of the word of God, key benefits it offers us, I think we have a pretty good start to our commercial. The whole idea here is to remind ourselves the word of God is the best place we could spend our time. I don't want to motivate you from guilt. That's it's not at all an effective way to motivate you to spend time in God's word. God is not interested in guilting you into his word. That just leaves you cold and depressed and empty. God wants to win you into his word. He wants to grow your desire so that you can't wait. You pant to be in his word. You long for his word. That's God's goal. Grow your desire for his word by reminding you what it offers If you will spend an hour in God's word, it will be the most valuable hour you could have spent. Nothing on earth could compete with spending time in his word. So I hope you have a sense, a sense of desire to be in God's word. I hope you have a a renewed, maybe none of this is new, maybe it's just a reminder to you of the value of God's word to your life. And now that you have that desire, hopefully growing desire to be in God's word, that leaves us with one last question. How? How do we spend quality time in God's word? How do you get the most out of God's word? That's an important question because if you've tried to read God's word, you know, it's not real easy. Not a real easy book to read, is it? Pretty tough book, full of a lot of stories that are hard to understand, a lot of theology that's confusing, and and it's just plain long, isn't it? My my Bible's a thousand pages long. It just looks small because the pages are really thin and the text is really small, It's a hard book to read. It's written thousands of years ago to cultures very different than our own. It's a hard book to read. So how do you do it? How do you spend quality time in God's word? I just want to briefly answer that question by walking us through these three discrete disciplines of study, meditation, and memorization. I'm just going to fly through these. I'm going to give you some resources. Later, I'll give you a a way where, where you can connect with these resources after the sermon. So let me just fly through this. Let's talk about study first. The discipline of study. What does it mean to study God's word? Well, study is more than just read. To study God's word, that's methodically seeking to understand and apply scripture. That's what Bible study is. You are applying a method, a step-by-step method. You are applying step-by-step tools to help you discover the meaning of scripture so you can apply it to your life. That's what Bible study is. It it takes time. It's, It's intensive. It's an investment. You have to put in time and effort to study God's word. It's a step-by-step process that takes some time to learn. I don't have time to walk you through it this morning. So I just want to give you a few tips how you can learn to study God's word and how you can really begin to study God's word uh, more effectively. The first, I cannot emphasize this strongly enough. Please join a small group with us this fall. Join a small group here at Grace Bible Church. If you join a men's or women's Bible study, I think also a college small group, you'll be studying 1 Peter. We will teach you the method of Bible study, step by step, how you discover the meaning and apply a passage to your life. We'd love to have you do that with us. If you're in a home church, we'll be studying the book of Mark and in particular the miracles of Jesus in the book of Mark. Either of those studies, would love to have you join us. There's no better way to learn how to study the word of God than with a group of committed Christians. Bible study is what changed my life 14 years ago when I first learned how to study the word of God on my own. It'll change your life too. So join a small group with us. That's the most important thing. Um, While you're waiting for those small groups to start, let me recommend a couple books to you. A couple books on Bible study. If you want to learn how to really study the word of God on your own, um, I've read a, a lot of books on Bible study, on how to do Bible study. The best, hands down, K. Arthur's How to Study Your Bible. 
Seriously, incredible book. It's really thin, really fast read, full of examples, really, really practical. I, I mean, I'm, I'm just really impressed at this book. Um, I have it on my shelf, and I have all of these post-it notes all the way through it because I refer to it so often. Really good book, super short, real easy to use. K. Arthur's How to Study Your Bible. Highly recommend getting a copy of that. Um, if you want something more extensive, Howard Hendricks' classic, Living by the Book. Um, it's longer. It, it has a lot more stuff in it, um, but it's, it's really rich. Really good practical tips on how to study the Word of God. So I encourage you, get one of these books. We're here in the summer. Perfect time to grab a book and read it. Um, Neither of them will take you too long. So grab one of these books, learn how to study the word of God. Finally, let me give you some resources. When you actually sit down to study God's word, you'll you'll learn pretty quickly that you, you need some help. Um, this book was written anywhere from two to 4,000 years ago, depending on what particular book you're in, written to a different culture and a different language than ours. It's a little challenging to understand it and apply it without help. So uh, let me share with you some of the resources that I have turned to that I think are the best. Again, um, I'll send these all to you. If you follow me on Twitter or Facebook, I will put all of these resources um, in tweets today and send them out to you uh, so you don't have to write all these down now. Two best websites in the world no question, first, netbible.org, net.bible.org. It's part of the bible.org web domain, Um, really great resource, period. Netbible.org is basically this online Bible study tool. You just go to this website, and you can interact with the text. You can click a word. It'll get you to the Greek behind it. It'll help you define words and understand it. It'll link to um, background articles so you can understand key people, key places, key events. Awesome, awesome resource net.bible.org. The next uh, is soniclight.org. One of the greatest men I've ever met, Dr. Tom Constable at Dallas Theological Seminary. You may not know this. Most seminary professors earn very little money. It's not a high-paying job. And so most of them will publish books. That's how they support themselves. Um, Tom thought that it would be good to just give away his stuff for free. And so that's what he did. For the last 20 or 30 years, he has been writing commentaries on the whole Bible, and he just gives them to you for free. He constantly updates them. Truly amazing. I've never seen any other individual do what he's done. If you go to soniclight.org, you will find all of his commentaries as PDF files on the entire Bible. Incredible stuff. Great resource. Free commentaries. You can download them onto your iPad or smartphone as well. So soniclight.org. Those are the best websites I know. Um, The best apps that you have to pay for, apps whether on your computer or your iPad or your uh, smartphone. Um, I personally use both of these. Lagos, you may be familiar with that. If you just go Lagos on the internet, it'll take you to this company. Um, Packages start around $30, go up from there. Really great investment really great investment. You spend more money than that on entertainment. It'd be great to spend some money on Bible study resources. Lagos is excellent. Accordance is also really good if you'd prefer to go that route. Um, Accordance is really good, especially at original language uh, work. So great resources. Um, But maybe money is tight. You'd like to know what can I get for free. Uh, You can use Blue Letter Bible. Blue Letter Bible is a website. You go to it. It's also an app you can put on your phone or your computer. It gives you access to, to the, the study material that you need. You click on a word, you get a definition. Not, not an English definition, but a, a definition of the Greek word behind it. You get cross-references, get background articles, all kinds of great stuff at Blue Letter Bible. So again, I'll, I'll Twitter all this stuff out to you guys later today. But great resources. Those are the best that I have found in, in many years of use of the resources that are out there. So grab some of these resources and begin to use them in your Bible study. It will take you further, help you to better understand and apply God's word. 
Let's move on to the next discipline, meditation. Now, when you hear the word meditation, what comes to your mind? Probably something like this. Getting in an extremely uncomfortable position, clearing your mind of all thoughts and chanting. Right? Well, that's, that's Eastern-style meditation. It actually has nothing to do with biblical meditation. Biblical meditation is, is actually uh, defined by the Old Testament. The Old Testament uses a couple different Hebrew words to define the biblical concept of meditation. The first is siach. It means to go over a matter in one's mind. You're not emptying your mind. You're actually doing the opposite. You're focusing your mind on one particular thing. You, you do this all the time. When you're driving in your car, when you're laying in bed at night, you're thinking about something, maybe a big decision or a relationship or a problem. You're mulling it over in your mind. That's meditation. Biblical meditation is just to do that with the word of God. So here's a verse using that word. Psalm 119, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. In other words, the psalmist is saying all day long, I contemplate, I I go over in my mind your law, your words. That's biblical meditation. Second word in Hebrew that's used for meditation, haggah, it means to read in a low low voice. The, The Jews, they would actually meditate by holding the word of God in front of them and reading it in a low voice quietly to themselves. They just read it over and over and over and over again. Over and over to drive it deep as they think about it, as they contemplate it. Psalm 1-2, but his delight is in the law of the Lord and his law he meditates day and night. This guy who's like a strong oak tree, he reads the word of God quietly to himself day and night over and over again. That is meditation. Now, now why should we do that? Why should we spend all this time thinking about the word of God and reading it to ourselves? Well, the, the simple biblical answer is because you become what you concentrate on. What you think about shapes your way of thinking. When you give your mind to a thought, to a problem, to some content, that thought begins to shape you. If you watch a lot of violent TV, it makes you a more violent person. Either you're outwardly more violent or you're less shocked by violence. If you watch um, a lot of tempting, sexually tempting TV, it changes the wiring in your mind so that you are more naturally tempted by those things. What we concentrate on shapes our thought processes, our worldview. And so if you want to think like God, if you want to think in a godly way, then the only way to do that is to concentrate for long periods of time on the word of God. That's meditation. You have to wrap your mind around God's word. Regularly spending time in his word is how you think God's thoughts, how you transform your mind into the mind of God. So let me give you a few resources to help you meditate well. Um, The ESV Bible app, or iPhone or Android. Um, this is the easiest Bible app I know of. I love this thing. It's so simple, fast, easy. It's ESV translation for free. Just search ESV Bible. Great little app. Um, one that a lot of folks around here use is just Bible, a convenient name. It's made by LifeChurch.tv. Um, it's actually got multiple translations of the Bible that you can download for free. That kind of shocks me. I don't know how they pulled that off. That's awesome. Um, onto your phone or your iPad or your computer, and you can read them over and over again. It's also got built-in Bible reading plans, so you can um, remind yourself. You can set these reminders every day to to read through more of the Bible, so that you can read it in either a year or three years time. however long you want to take to read through the Word of God. That's a great free app. Um, Finally, ebible.com, another free app. I like it because on an iPad, it looks like a book. It's just 
you know, if you're kind of old school, it looks like you're reading a book and it's free and it's great translations. Really cool little app, ebible.com. So um, grab something that will help you to spend more regular time in the Word of God. That's what meditation requires. You've got to give it time as you contemplate the Word of God. Finally, last of these disciplines, memorization. Here is God's rationale, his, his, what he means by memorization. Deuteronomy 11, 18 through 20, God says, you shall therefore impress the, these words of mine on your heart and on your soul, and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall teach them to your sons, talking of them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road, and when you lie down and when you rise up, you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates." What God is saying is that it is not sufficient to God that we simply read the Bible. That's good, but that's not enough for God. God wants us to impress his word. I love that idea, to stamp his word on our hearts and on our soul. He wants us to memorize it. He wants us to know it so well that it will be like uh, frontals on your forehead. That's a, a funny metaphor. The idea is it's as if it was written on your face, on the front of your eyes, so that as you look out at the wor- world, what do you see? You see God's word. It's as if you had the Bible permanently placed in front of you. That's what God wants. He wants it always here. It's always fresh. When you have a problem, when you have a difficult conversation, when you feel tempted or attacked, boom, the right verse pops up immediately. You don't have to open your Bible. You don't have to search Google. It's just right there. You got it. That's what God wants. He wants us to memorize his word so that in any situation, we can immediately turn to the right verse, to the right passage to lead us and guide us. That's the idea. That's what was practiced by Jesus and Peter and Paul, John and James. I don't know if it has ever surprised you um, like it has me, reading through um, the conversations of Jesus, for example. So not, his, not, not writing. You would think, okay, if one of these guys is writing, he could pull out the Old Testament and reference it. No, the conversations of Jesus, when he's just talking to people, no Bible at hand, he's just talking to you. It's amazing to see how often he's dropping the Old Testament. Boom, 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 boom. It's like he's got Google right there and he can just search verse on marriage in Deuteronomy. It's right there. Now Jesus is the son of God, so um, that's maybe less surprising. But Peter, Paul, James, they all do it. They all do it. You should see the conversations recorded in Acts. Peter gets up to speak and the Old Testament is just rolling off his tongue. It would appear from our study of these guys that probably most of these guys had pretty much the entire Old Testament memorized. The whole thing. It's crazy, isn't it? Whole Old Testament. Now that's probably too big a goal for us to start with, at least. That's a, that'd be nice, but that's, that's a really big goal. So let me give you a place to start. Um, I love the navigators. The navigators have a topical memory system that will take you through, will help you to memorize the top approximately 75 verses in the Bible divided by subject matter, by topic. Now, the navigators are great. They'll give you the list for free. If you just go onto their website this afternoon, navigators.org, click tools, click topical memory system, it will give you that chart. I encourage you, start there. Those are the, you've, you've probably heard all of those verses before. They're the most useful 75 or so verses of the Bible to have quickly available for recall. Be very useful to you. So I encourage you to go there and use that to help you to begin to memorize the word of God so that it is impressed upon your heart so that you can call it forth when you need it. 
Okay, I've listed a lot of stuff, covered a lot of ground this morning. Um, if you want to, to get all of these updates, um, I'm going to try out Twitter. So I set it up a couple weeks ago. You're welcome to follow me at Grace Bible Blake. Um, this afternoon, I'm going to tweet out all of these resources. Okay, so uh, just follow me there and I'll send all of these things to you. Now, the reason that I covered so much ground this morning is because I don't know where you are. I don't know where each of us individually is. I don't know where you are in your practice of these disciplines. My guess is that just like me, um, you know you need work. I do. I assume you do too. There's something in these disciplines that you need to work on. And so I want to encourage you and just challenge you. Um, Look back over this list of things that we've covered this morning and, and ask the Lord to bring to your mind one practical thing you can begin to do this week to practice this discipline. Word of God doesn't do you any good if you don't spend time in it. So set aside some time this week to spend in it. That might mean you have to make a sacrifice. You have to give up a little TV, get to give up a little sleep maybe. I don't know what it will be, but give up something to spend a little bit of time in God's word. And then as you do, use some of these resources to begin taking you deeper into God's word as you study it, meditate on it, and memorize it. Let's pray for God's help. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We acknowledge you're the creator, you're the God of the universe, you are sovereign and almighty, you are not under obligation to reveal anything to us. You could have left us in the dark, it was your choice, and yet you freely chose to reveal truth to us, to reveal wisdom and life to us in your word, Father. Your, Your word is a gift to us, it's one of the greatest gifts imaginable. As the Psalms say, it's greater than than much gold, than sweet honey, it's greater than anything, Father. And Father, we confess that so often we forget that. Father, I confess that in my own life. So often I am lured away from your word by lesser loves, by entertainment, by things that I want to spend time in that distract me from what is most valuable and most essential. So Father, I pray that this week you would convict us, that you would would work in us and grow us to love your word more, to desire it more, Lord. I pray that we would long to be in your word like we long to be on Facebook or watching TV or hanging out with friends. I pray that you would grow our desire to be in your word. And I pray that as you grow our desire, that you would also equip us, that you would teach us how to study your word, how to meditate upon it, how to memorize it, Father. Um, Make us students of your word. Transform us so that we can get out of your word what Jesus got out out of your word, Lord, what Paul, what Peter, what these men got out of your word, Lord. We pray that you would change us through your word. Father, we pray that in all ways that your word would shape us, that it would make us um, more fully devoted followers and disciples of Jesus Christ. Help us to practice this discipline this week, Lord. And through your spirit, use this discipline to grow us, to be like your son. Thank you so much for your gifts. In the name of your son, we pray. Amen. God bless you guys. I'll see you next week.